0: Okay, so how do we go from uh, these, um, these harsher and harsher, stronger and stronger, more and more frustrating speeches you were giving in the mid to late 80s to excommunication?
1: Well, I started out thinking, you know, the apostles know all this stuff, and I'm just talking to people in the church who don't know it, and they get irritated, and I can't help that. Well, but as time goes on, I'm beginning to realize that as I listen to conference, I conclude that, okay, the members of the church are not ready to hear this, so the brethren are giving them milk and not meat.
0: So giving them lots of credit, the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely.
1: As time goes on and I listen to them and I have some private communications with them. So you did try and talk to them? Yeah, I mean, I didn't make a pest of myself, but I talked to a few of them, and Hartman I could talk to all the time. Do you want to talk about
0: that or would you rather not? Well, I mean, you, you tried to have this conversation with the general authorities. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I talked to Neil Maxwell. He told me I needed to be meek, which was true.
0: But, Meaning but, he didn't agree with you?
1: No, he didn't say that. He just thought I should be meek. But but you explained to him what you've explained to us. Yes, more or less,
0: yes. And he said yes, no. I wasn't as
1: articulate earlier on, but I got so that I understood more what I believe, so I was able to express it better.
0: And so you were talking about Christology, Christ-centeredness, yeah. God the Father, and he says... Well, I talked. To,
1: I talked to Hartman about it. He thought it was fine.
0: But but what? And Brother Maxwell did he argue on the substance? Of... No,
1: he didn't. He just felt like I needed to know my place. But did he treat you okay? He always treated me with great kindness. Though I mean, I only met with him on one occasion. I think I've met with him on s- several very briefly, but 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 only one where we actually talked privately. You know, I liked him. You know, I mean. I had no problem. I, I, I remember meeting with Dallin Oaks right after he became an apostle, and I had been his research assistant for a period of time while I was in law school, so I knew him. And I wrote a book early on in the 80s, which nobody's read, called um, uh, Gospel Letters to a Mormon Missionary, and it's an epistolary. It's letters that, to Larry, I think. And um, he, called, he had read it. He read it. It was very nice. And he was a little worried about my ideas about priesthood, and um, because I had written in that book that I felt that there was a, uh, an outward and an inward priesthood. There was a priesthood that came by ordination, but there was a priesthood that comes only by the Spirit. And he said, well, you know, that's dangerous. And I said, well, is it any more dangerous than a person being ordained to stay president who doesn't have an ounce of the Spirit in them? I, you guys seem to have no trouble ordaining people who don't have any spirituality whatsoever. That doesn't bother you as much as somebody who has spirituality but no ordination. So, you said this to who? To Alan Oaks. Okay, and and I said other things too. He said, "Well, do you what? I sense that you have problems with the leadership of the church." I said, "I do. I I don't understand why they don't teach the gospel more. I know they think they're teaching the gospel, but for them, everything is the gospel. Writing in your journal." home teaching, uh, being nice to your wife, opening the door of the car so she can get in. I mean, this is not the gospel. The gospel is the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the redemption, and the universal judgment. I mean, this is what it says in 3 Nephi. I can quote you what the gospel is. And
0: he's, and so And he
1: says, well, we try to do that. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't know. Pardon me for saying this, but I think you've just got a scattergun approach, and you need a bullet, because I don't think this is going to work. And he says, well, you seem to be upset. I said, well, I'm upset because I I think, you know, you claim to be apostles, and that's a very big claim, and you need to deliver, and you don't. You're the worst apostles we've ever had in the history of Christianity. Holy moly. I said, I, you know.
0: You said that to him?
1: Yes. Yes. He said, well, which one of us are you talking about? I said, listen, uh, Elder Oaks, any one of you is a better person than I am. Any one of you is a better man than I am. It's just as a group that you don't do very well. You line up in order of seniority to go to the bathroom. You, 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 I think you checkmate your best instincts because of this authority thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, you know, if you had 12 deacons, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> But you do, and I think that's wrong.
0: And he just sort of took it well? or He
1: took it very well. He was a very open-minded. I mean, these are not bad men. They just
0: could do better.
1: And they don't like to be told that by somebody like me. I mean, I'm just a Sicilian convert that comes out of the blue with a kind of a harsh way of saying things that offends people, as I do that people don't understand the depth of my frustration, and they assume I'm ambitious and that I want to be one of them. That's not how I feel. I, I certainly would not want to be a leader of the Church. I just want... I just don't understand how we are being true to all of those early Mormons who buried children in shallow graves between St. Joseph's, Missouri, and Salt Lake City, who made huge sacrifices for this Church and have continued to do so down through the 20th century. I don't know how we can be true to those people by denying what we are because we want the praises of a world that is so deeply confused that they re- are, their praise or their criticism should not matter to us
0: so what, what about just the argument out of sympathy that they're just trying to get people to stay married they're trying to get kids to stay off drugs and alcohol and have sex and not have you know illegitimate children they're trying to help people just have a happy normal healthy life and that you know, the practical advice maybe is is the most relevant and important. And whether Jesus was God or Jesus was the son or whether Adam assumed some angelic position so that Jesus could come down to the earth or God could become Jesus, maybe what's wrong with the argument that that's so less important than things like doing your home teaching so that people can help each other in the ward, help families grow, raise righteous children. Forget all that theology and doctrine. And focus more on sort of the day-to-day practicalities. What's wrong with feeling empathy for the fact that they're just trying to help people stay married, have productive lives, keep their jobs, keep their families intact, and raise their children relatively healthily? And so they have a lot of practical advice for that.
1: Well, down in Melanesia, when a person is dying, this was years ago, I guess it doesn't happen now so much, they felt that the spirit was going to leave the body person got very ill. And so what they do to keep this spirit from leaving the body of this ill person, quite ill person, was that they would make a compound of grass and dung and mud and urine, and they would make a paste. And they would put the paste in all of the person's bodily openings to keep the spirit from coming out. The result was always traumatic and death always ensued. But the elders felt that they had done their best. Okay. <laughs> My point is that I don't believe telling young people that sex is. S- loathsome, evil, dirty, disgusting, immoral, and you should save it for the one you love, is essentially a good message to give to them. Now, I have no idea what the proper message is. If I were in charge, I would not be giving that message at all. I would not bring that subject up. Because I don't think it helps to talk about drugs and alcohol and sex and being nice to your wife and doing your home teaching because I don't think that makes the world better because I don't think the world works that way.
0: That I by merely talking about it, it, it makes I it think
1: so. I think that the way you make people better is to tell them the gospel. Talk about the Godhead. Talk about the angels. Talk about miracles. Talk about the New Testament. Make the connections they can't make from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And magically, somehow, I don't know how, but when people are concentrating on those things, their lives get better. Because the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, though it has been incorporated, is not a corporation. And the members of the Church are not widgets. We're not cranking out widgets. All of the thing that you're saying works in a corporation. But this is not a corporation. This is the body of Christ. Now if it's a body when you pray or think things get better even if you're not you know you're not picking at your scabs all the time and be concentrating all on your blemishes and your fat and all of that that you're worried about your life gets better if you can pull yourself out of yourself and think about things that are eternal Home teaching is not eternal. Being nice to your wife is not eternal. Writing in your journal is not eternal. Those things are not eternal. Those are not eternal things. Telling kids about sex when you don't know anything about it
0: yourself is not eternal. But certainly they can have practical value that has eternal
1: consequences. Okay, let me put it to you another way. Morality is the enemy of religion. The more you talk about morality, the more people sink into despair. Because that's the way it works. The more you judge, the more they sense you're judging them. The more they're always measuring themselves against what they think as other people's expectations, the more despair they get. Except for the real dumb people in the church, who believe they're living up to these moral standards, and they become arrogant. So you generate a syndrome of arrogance and despair, from which there is absolutely no escape. Except the gospel of Jesus Christ, which teaches us not to judge ourselves and others, and to have hope, and if you can have it, faith, which I no longer have, but hope and charity. You do have faith. We'll get to No, that. I don't. No, I don't. What I have is hope, but I do not have any longer any faith. Faith is something that you have to feel inside you and trust God. I don't distrust him, but I don't trust him. But I do have hope. I hope Jesus is the Christ. I hope he was raised from the dead. I can't think of anybody better to fill that position. But after my excommunication, it was like being hit by a Mack truck, and and I lost my eyesight. I lost that sense. I haven't lost hope. I hope I haven't lost charity even though my charity is sometimes manifest as rebuking betimes with sharpness. But my sharp rebuke is comes from the fact that I do not believe, nor do I have any evidence that's been presented to me, that carping about people's morality and their behavior is going to make them better. It certainly doesn't, is my experience. It just makes
0: them feel more despondent. But doesn't the... Doesn't the look, look at the... I mean, uh, I know you can isolate and pick instances or subcultures, but look at the general membership of the church. It's a bunch of of basically good, honest, hardworking, family-committed, responsible people. I don't know if that's true or not. I hope that's true. Oh, come on. But that can be
1: said about the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Catholics and the Muslims. By and large, they're all in this thicket trying to make sense out of stuff. But what transforms people is the preaching of the Word of God, which is not practical. It is allowing them to have faith in something for which there is very little evidence, that is essentially mythological, but somehow a magical thing happens. It happened in Joseph's time. The reason why those people left St. Joseph's, Missouri and dared to go across the plains, and were willing to bury their children in shallow graves, was not because they were being taught to do their home teaching. They were being taught things like Adam God, and God has a body, and eternal progression, and the law of consecration and stewardship, and, and that Jesus appeared in the, in the Kirtland Temple, and things that were eternal, but very, very unpractical. It's, 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 it's like the humanities. It's like the reason why we have all the problems we have in Washington, D.C. with all these yokels that we've now elected to office and that are essentially ruining the nation and they've done it as Democrats and they do it now as Republicans is because they don't read poetry. They don't, they're not men of letters. They have the humanities haven't humanized them. Nothing has schooled their intuitions. Nothing has, has schooled their imagination. They are men with a failure of imagination. The failure of the war in Iraq, and we've had two, is not a failure of the nation, it's a failure of imagination. We could not imagine by sending 19-year-olds and giving them Kevlar and AK-47s that they would kick in the doors of innocent people and shoot dogs and children. I'm just a bankruptcy lawyer, and I could have imagined that. (laughs) What... Is it that they're taking, that would kill the imagination, that they couldn't imagine what I'm saying? That they would send our guys, and and we're we're having our guys torture their guys. But the worst effect is going to be on our guys. Not today. 10, 15 years from now, when they realize what they have done. And there will be, in their minds, no atonement. It's not by teaching practical things that we humanize the world. It is not practical to say to the world, I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believeth in me and liveth shall never die. There's nothing practical in that. And yet, even as I say it, can't you hear it resonating down the centuries of 2,000 years and bringing people into something better than what they lived in, in whatever mud or plague or other thing that they had to go through? It is the impractical thing that the apostles are given to teach. What is that impractical thing? That God himself entered into the world, laid aside his sovereignty, his glory, his kingdom, and made himself into a Jew, and lived in Jerusalem as a carpenter's son, and allowed himself to be scourged and afflicted, and hammered with nails, and die, and rose again from the dead, and take everything up with him. That's very impractical, and yet that is the thing that gives people hope, and that is the thing they don't say, because they're so focused on trying to keep people from having sex illicitly. Well, that is a no-win proposition. They are, of course, going to have sex illicitly, and they're going to take drugs, and why do they do it? Because they have no hope.
0: But they, they, talk about the said, atonement, they talk about the atonement all they don't, the time. They don't
1: talk about the atonement. They do. They every talk about every conference. creditors and debtors and Christ paying the debt and your obligation to be obedient. That is not the atonement.
0: No, but they talk about mercy and they talk about, you know, salvation. They, they totally... Maybe, maybe they weren't as much when you were... I mean, I, I'm talking about general conferences I go to now. Then so how come those things are so boring when they say them? I, don't I, I guess it depends. It isn't
1: false doctrine that is a problem in the church. is boredom. <laughs> okay. Which, and they don't want people... I, I, I believe that they have a problem. I don't believe they're... You know, I'm not saying that I'm the apostle and they're not. I'm saying they need to do a better job. They're losing too many people. They're worried about leaving the church in worse condition than they got it. And they are. And that's because they have... this pendulum has swung toward legalism. The more you emphasize morality, the more you emphasize these things, even if you say it nicely... I mean, you've got to be talking, you know their their position on gays, their position on women, their position on a number of different issues is just very punishing. They've got to come to that balance about being loving and open but strict about the ordinances. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds and they have and you cannot address the problems of people directly. You can let them tell you their problems, but then what you have to say back has to be, you can't be giving them advice like that, because you can't give generalized advice. It doesn't work. I mean, you don't see Jesus giving generalized advice. It, it's, it, it, what he says is sometimes contradictory. He that loseth his life shall find it. He that seeketh his life shall lose it. And you go, wow! Well, 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 I mean, blessed are the peacemakers, the cheesemakers. You know. Oh, he must, must mean everyone in the dairy industry. It's confusing what he says, but, but it isn't confusing to the heart. Because it, 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 it does something there if you just let it. It is an instruction that isn't like an order. It's an illumination. And that's what I feel is missing. I mean, maybe the brethren do a better job than I think. Maybe they don't. They should not have excommunicated me for pointing out that they need to do better.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So take us from your speeches at Sunstone and your private conversations with some apostles to your excommunication. Well,
1: um. Actually, my my excommunication happened because I blocked them from excommunicating Margaret.
0: So how'd that happen? In
1: 1993, in July, she went down to BYU with her slide projector. (laughs) And she put on a slideshow for a group of women called Voice, which was a feminist group at BYU. Yep,
0: I was there. You were there at that meeting? I was there at 93 when voice was very prevalent and Margaret was visiting. Yeah.
1: She went down there and she puts on her slideshow. I used to call it Margaret's Traveling Show. And it would be these slides that she got from I don't know where of all these fem- images of the female divine, you know, Greek goddesses, Egyptian goddesses, Mesopotamian goddesses, little Venuses that were very fat and pudgy but very fertility symbols. Eh. And she went down there, and I went with her, and I helped plug in the projector, and I sat there, and she gave this interesting presentation as a humanities teacher to these students. When it was over, some of the students, who are quite perspicacious and, and up front, said, well, you know, are you saying there's a Mother Goddess? And she says, well, certainly that's part of Mormon theology. And why do we hear about her? Well, you know, we don't hear about her. And um, she's, you know, it's repression. <laughs> I mean, the, the leaders of the church don't have anything to gain to talk about Heavenly Mother. It it makes things even more confusing. So no. And uh, she's, and so the next day, and she answered some other questions. And so the the faculty advisor to the universe was essentially the job I had years before. <laughs> was out of town, and so they took the story about Margaret and put it on the front page of the next summer universe. The summer universe isn't as monitored as the regular daily universe. And um, it said, um, Mother God repressed voice told, with a picture of Margaret and then the story about her, which wasn't really what she had gone there to do, nor was it the main point, but it got in the paper. It was the most sensational thing.
0: And this is Cecilia Farr's there, Gail Houston's there. This is a pretty sensitive time, right? Isn't Cecilia Farr like marching on the Capitol steps for abortion and they're, they're holding vigils at BYU about pro-choice or pro-life? And I mean, it, I remember it being a very volatile time.
1: Okay, well, I didn't know that, but yeah, I, sure, I Anyway, Boyd Packer sees this on the front page of the, the universe, which he reads. I hope it's not his only source of information, but it, it, he read it. And, and and rather than call Kerry Hines, our state president, we live in Salt Lake in the Cottonwood area, and instead of calling him, he calls Melvin Hammond down in Mexico as in an area presidency because Melvin Hammond knows Kerry, and Kerry knows Boyd Packer because they were in the Seminary and Institute program at one time, maybe in Brigham City or somewhere. So they're all friends, they're maybe not friends, but they know each other. I think Carrie looked at, upon Elder Packer as a mentor, maybe. Well, anyway, he, Elder Packer calls Elder Hammond and says, I don't know why Carrie can't control that woman, something like that. And Hammond, soon after, maybe the same day, calls Carrie and says, I just got a call from Elder Packer, and he thinks you can't control that woman. Well, you've got to do something. So I think then what happens that triggered a call from uh, Carrie Hines to Elder Packer, saying, "Well, I, what can I do to make this good?" And so he went to visit him. I don't know whether they visited the church office building. Elder Packer lives kind of down in our area. Maybe he went over to his house or something. And that happened on the same day that that happened. That afternoon, Carrie calls Margaret in and tells her she's not allowed to publish or speak or. Discuss or get in the paper about Mormonism. She's
0: completely silenced. How do you know who called who? I'm just curious. Carrie told us. Okay. okay. And uh,
1: I don't know about who called, I don't know whether Carrie called Elder Packer, Elder Packer called Carrie, but I suspect it happened the other way. And, um, But Carrie told us. And then Elder Packer said so in an article that got published the next, uh, that October. He said the date on which this happened. And it turned out to be the same date that I, we had written in our journal that Margaret had gone in. And um, he told us that uh,
0: Hammond called him. Okay. And, so um, they tell Margaret to, to stop yeah, talking about Yeah, don't speak. This stuff. About, about this stuff.
1: About any stuff, any related things related to Mormonism. Yeah, it was the mother drawn. in heaven, Anything. women in
0: the priesthood.
1: Yeah. Because right. it's disruptive. Well, it wasn't disrupting anybody that we knew of because it was only at Sunstone. Only, you know, it's not disturbing anybody in our ward or stake. We're not doing this in church. We're not trying to advance speculative theology in church. This is only at Sunstone, where people have already lost their testimony at Sunstone or on their way. I mean, it's not like...
0: Oh, there's lots of believers at Sunstone. Now, don't talk about Sunstone that way. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of
1: questioners at Sunstone,
0: or else they wouldn't be there.
1: And they have to also know that the church has put Sunstone off limits, so they've got to be a little bit rebellious to go. But it's not like people were getting their testimonies hurt even at Sunstone, talking about these things. So I saw no... That's what they said to us. That's what Kerry first said. You're damaging people's testimony. And I said, well, who? Show me one person whose testimony has been damaged by anything I've said. And if it comes to taking a body count, I, I, will, I will put my body count of lost testimonies against Boyd Packers any day of the week. Okay, wait.
0: Why are they talking to you when it's Margaret who gave the, the speech?
1: Because the woman is nothing. It's, she,
0: they, call, they always involve the husband. So they called you about Margaret's speech. Yeah, they didn't call her at all. They called her in on that day okay. to talk to her. And I then, didn't go. And then how'd you get? Well, the,
1: because he said I we sh- I should be meeting with you and your husband. Okay. So he set up another meeting for me. Okay. All right. And at that point, you know, I I told him that uh, I supported Margaret and that um, I wasn't going to tell her to. I'm not going to stand by his statement. I'm going to stand by her beliefs. And he, he, uh, we had several meetings, and I can conflate them in my mind. Although I think in my journal I have them all, you know, I made contemporaneous entries so that I would remember. But I don't right now remember. But I do know we met once. We met um, on August fifth. I remember that date. I think we met, and I met another time alone with him. So I met. I think we met twice with margaret and and once alone with him but well, i do remember when i was alone with him when i met him alone i think he may have called me in to talk to me alone i went to his house which is by the cottonwood country club and it's a very lovely house and he has a nice study and he's got beautiful furniture in this nice study and he's got an elk's head on the wall and and i'm sitting there talking to him and i'm i'm not really i'm not the kind of a person that i have an i'm a little anti-authoritarian, as you know, <laughs> and I don't, I don't suffer fools lightly. And he's t- I said, Kerry, this is beyond you. You are not a theologian. You are not a person who studied the scripture. You're a real estate agent, and you should stay out of this because you don't know what you're talking
0: about. He's your stake president.
1: Yeah, he's my stake president. And he says, well,
0: So you start trying to talk about the theology. No,
1: I don't talk about the theology. He's talking about the theology. And I'm saying to him, he doesn't understand what he's talking about. And, and he should stay out of that because he doesn't know anything about theology. And I said, but I don't think you have the right to silence my wife. I don't think you have that kind of authority. And, um, he says, well, you're, you're damaging people's testimony. And I said, well, you can't. I find one. Bring somebody in here who says their testimony was ruined by Paul Toscano or Margaret. You're never going to find somebody who'd say that.
0: You really don't believe that a discussion about how the the, the, the top church leadership doesn't have the nature of God or the atonement right. Women should have the priesthood, but they're suppressing it and they're being abused. And that there should be a discussion of Mother in Heaven but we're not doing it because we're scared or because we're trying to to keep the people down. You don't think those who are persuaded by those beliefs don't ultimately come to some type of conclusion that, it, at a minimum, the church isn't what they thought it was, but at, at maximum, that it's corrupt and rotten, and they should leave it.
1: You really, really don't.
0: You really don't believe
1: that. Well, I that? would believe it if those things, what you said, happened. But that's not what was happening. That's your, those are your main arguments. That's what I'm, I'm, well, you're confusing what I believe with what we said. Well, that's what you were saying in Sunstone. Yeah, right? in Sunstone, we were saying that, but we, that Sunstone doesn't get picked up by the church.
0: Oh, come on! It was like six to ten thousand subscriptions plus whatever yeah, but, Peggy but, Stack, but, well, the plus whatever Peggy Fletcher Stack started writing in the Solid Tribune, and it started getting amplified in the early '90s. And that's well, I know, don't believe that it hurts people's testimonies. I just don't believe it. You believe that, that you, what you and Margaret were teaching from the mid-80s to the early 90s was testimony neutral to people's conviction. Well, and I think it was actually testimony
1: positive because most of the people we were talking to and most of the people that even Peggy Fletcher's articles are reaching have no effect on people who've never heard this. Cuz it wasn't laid out well enough for them to be damaged by it. They just think there's a bunch of nutcases out there talking about something. They don't get it. It's the people who already know about it and can't contextualize it who we were helping. But your conclusions are that the
0: brethren don't have it right, and well, that, the so church, that the church is messed up, and that, you know, and it's continually is oppressing. A, is
1: this a shock to you that the church is messed up?
0: No, I'm saying that you're, you're trying to argue that that wouldn't have a deleterious impact on their levels of activity or convictions about the truthfulness well, or the goodness of the church. the people that we're
1: talking to already believe the church is messed up and don't believe the brethren know what they're talking So about.
0: all those girls in the voice thing at BYU, the freshmen through seniors, in this young, you know, these BYU females, they already have the, these notions. Well, there were
1: 20 people there, 20 women.
0: No, but the worth of the soul is great. I mean, yeah, there just, were so
1: 20 women there already concerned about the role of women in the church or they wouldn't have been in a feminist group at BYU. They raised the. Margaret just gave a presentation about how goddess images appear in artwork. They were the ones who raised the question. She said, well, there is the Mother in Heaven theology in Mormonism. Why don't we hear more of it? Well, you know, it's in Joseph Smith's teachings, it's in Eliza Snow's hymn, it just doesn't get spoken of very much. It's, it's kind of repressed. That was mostly all she said.
0: Is it possible that you underestimate the potential impact or even danger of what you and Margaret were teaching? Well, let me ask you this. In terms of the strength and vitality of the church. Do you think that
1: the brethren damage people by taking a position against homosexuality and damaging all of those people in the church who are homosexuals? Do you think that the Brethren's position on rep- being Republicans doesn't damage those people who want to ally themselves with Democrats? Do you think that the leaders of the church's position on the question of uh, money as a sign of God's favor doesn't hurt the poor? Okay, so all those things can be debated. Do you think that the church's interpretation of tithing, where you pay tithing on the gross, doesn't systematically damage the poor? Okay, that, those are all, we could argue those. Well, don't you think that the leaders of the church have more opportunity and more potential to damage people's testimonies than we did? So, so yeah. So why aren't they excommunicated on the same grounds? Why
0: are we excommunicated for damaging people's testimony but not Boyd but that, Packer? That, my, question was, <laughs> my question was not whether or not they can do damage. My question was, are you sure you guys weren't doing damage well, to, I can't people's be absolutely sure. church, to people's faith in the church? and in their levels of commitment and devotion to to the church that would ultimately speak to the church's strength. All I can say is,
1: show me somebody who will say that we have damaged them. That is a fact. That is not something that you can make up. If somebody had been damaged, show me. I can show you dozens of people who have been damaged by the leaders of the church. You show me one person that was damaged by Margaret. Show me one person who lost their testimony because of something I said or she said.
0: Margaret talked in her interview about a lot of women who ultimately were dissatisfied by the way women were treated in the church, and it, it made them leave. Yeah, but that had nothing to do with what she said. It was how they were treated in the church.
1: Margaret wasn't treating them. It was how they were treated by their bishops, their husbands, their stake presidents, and other males. You have to come up, if you're going to say you're going to convict us for damaging somebody, you better come up with a body. You need to come up with a wounded person. You can't get somebody in jail for, you know, running over somebody unless you can produce a person run over. What we were trying to do was go to those people who were already damaged by the juggernaut so, and, and take the people that were on the side of the road whom the you know, had been passed by by the priests And we're going over them to tell them, well, you know, Joseph Smith did teach that there was a mother in heaven. Okay. Joseph Smith did promise the women the priesthood. The fact that the leaders of the church now have not carried through on it does not mean that God himself wasn't worried about this at one time. Because the ch- church leaders now make mistakes, doesn't mean that you can attribute those errors to God or Joseph Smith
0: or the founders of our religion. Okay, so what about the argument that what about? And I may get in trouble for asking this from people who won't like the question, but what about just the argument that the women wouldn't have known they were being treated badly; they wouldn't have thought of it as being so egregious if you guys hadn't have been continually uh, making them aware of that fact.
1: Well, you know...
0: I mean, lots of women stayed active in the church for a lot of years before any of the progress made in feminism, or first, second, third wave feminism, and somehow they weren't defecting in masses. You know, they were staying active and contributing to a relatively healthy church. One that you would say was healthier then than it is now. You know? And so, so anyway, so you won't concede at all that yours and Margaret's arguments could lead to a weakening of one's commitment to the church or confidence in it? I think that we didn't.
1: We have no evidence. No one's ever told me that because of something I've said, they left the church. I have heard dozens and hundreds of people tell me that because of how the church treats women or gays or intellectuals, that they've left the church. Okay. I also know that there are hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Arab women who have had clitorectomies and have their vaginas sewn up, who never complain about it. They never see it as an abuse because it's part of their culture. It's true that there might be do-gooders who want to see this process stopped. And, of course, by telling the women that they're being abused, this may cause some problems to the fundamentalist Arabs and Muslims, not Arabs, but Muslims who do this. It could cause them some problems. And I'm sure that a lot of black people in the 19th century were perfectly happy serving as slaves until those awful white abolitionists came down and just stirred the pot and caused them to want to be free. Yes, I suppose all of things might be true. Yep, that could be true, John. Yep, I suppose we'll have to suffer for what we've done.